1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 7. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Amen. I don't know what the Lord is doing this morning. But our time is well spent. And I had planned on spending a lot of time. So, we'll see what the Lord has for us this morning. Tomorrow's a holiday. You can rest all evening. Amen? Amen. It's graduation season, isn't it? It's a wonderful time of the year, beloved. It's a celebration of education. It's what we do. Graduation ceremonies, open houses and, and parties, the hopes and dreams of another generation, hoping to make a difference in this world. This is the month. This is what we do. Full of joy. Hopes and dreams. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had to honor and privilege of being out at the University of West Georgia as our daughter graduated from college. Many of you have celebrated graduations even this past week, even the last few days. In fact, on this past Tuesday evening, I was at a graduation ceremony. <clears throat> Celebrating with those who celebrate. When I got an alert on my phone informing me that there was a mass shooting at an elementary school in Texas, and the death toll was rising. Like all of you, when you got that news, I was shocked. I mean, here we were, here we were in the midst of the celebrations of education going on all around us. And those little children and their teachers went from dreaming to screaming, went from playing to praying. went from joy to terror in a matter of moments. And now the community, the country, and the world is left to mourn and grieve and to cry the senseless loss of those 21 lives. And everyone, 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 everyone rushing to give answers. Yet most of them haven't even figured out the question. But that's what we do in this age of social media. Everybody's got a platform. Everyone has a voice. Everyone thinks they're prophets. Everyone has the answer. How do we end 
these senseless killings that seem to happen every day. Everybody's an expert. Everyone knows how to solve the problem of evil. Some suggest more guns. Others suggest less guns. Some want metal detectors and proper protection in schools. Some want more police. Some want less police. Some want to limit social media access. Some want to put everybody in therapy. I don't know, beloved. Except I know this. Evil violence is a problem. Always has been. Always has been. And it's a bigger problem than any Democrat or Republican agenda can fix. And I don't have a quick fix, beloved. Don't get me wrong. I ain't got a quick fix for you this morning. And I ain't listening to those people who say they do. But I do have a question for you this morning. And the question is not, what in the world are we to do? But here's the question. What in God's name should we do? I do know this. That in the Bible, at times when sin and evil are most prominent, God calls his people first to self-examination. We got time this morning. The godlessness in the world should be a consistent reminder to me of the godlessness that yet remains in my heart. God calls his people to always look at themselves first and realize that that world that stands in the need of God's mercy begins with this heart of mine. And when I understand that, then I'm reminded that the primary issues of this world, beloved, are spiritual ones that require God's people to pray and to seek his face and to do battle with spiritual reality. We're going to get to the text. Here's the truth of the matter. It's becoming more and more evident. If we would pay attention. And that there are spiritual forces. And demonic influences. At work in our land. Now, beloved, such has always been the case. That's not a new revelation. But we might find them particularly acute today. It takes a different type of possession that causes a young man to walk into an elementary school and start killing children. My granddaughter starts school next year. And I couldn't imagine if that was her. Where would I be this morning? It is chilling, it is chilling 
to think of the coldness and the hardness of heart it takes to perpetrate such violence and such senseless pain and suffering. Beloved, that's a different level of demonic influence. That's a different level of possession. And beloved, I want to suggest something to you this morning. And that is the kind of spiritual darkness that settled across our land this week. And that is the kind of darkness that had covered Israel at the time of Elijah the prophet. It could be offered that no prophet rose up or was called to Israel at a more critical time and even dangerous time than was Elijah. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, that the prophets were being persecuted and even killed. Most of them were on the run, and they were in hiding. Israel as a nation was at the height of its idolatry and its pagan and its demonic influences were nationwide. Since the reign of the king, of David and Solomon. The nation of Israel had been split in the two, the north and the south. It's always the north and the south, isn't it? The north and the south. And the northern part of the nation, the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And now the northern kingdom had a succession of bad and evil kings. Since Solomon and since the split, and since the split, there was Solomon's son Jeroboam. Then there was Nadab. Then there was Baasha. Then there was Ella. Then there was Zimri, and then there was Amri. These were a line of murderous, godless men at the head of the nation. And the testimony of the Bible is that they were consistent. They were consistent in provoking God. They were consistent in doing evil in his sight. In fact, each king seemed to kind of build upon the depravity of his predecessor. So that in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 25, it says of Omri, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more than all who were before him. That of all the evil that the kings before Omri did, Umbri surpassed them all. And beloved, as bad as Omri was, Omri had a son. And despite the depths of evil that the Bible said Omri went to, it is unimaginable. But then the Bible says, his son Ahab, in verse 30, was worse. 
And one of the reasons why Ahab was worse is because Ahab had a bonnie to his Clyde. His wife, Jezebel. Now Jezebel, beloved, was the pagan worshiping daughter of the king of the Sidonians. And she was all too familiar with palace intrigue and political manipulation and intimidation and the use of force to get her way. And through her influence, the worship of Baal was established throughout the northern kingdom, not only in the courts of the king, but the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 32 and 33, that there were altars set up throughout the kingdom for the worship of Baal. Asherahs were made. Ahab and Jezebel, beloved, represented zero hour. The darkest hour of the nation's spiritual life. Some have suggested, beloved, that Jezebel was demon-possessed. It wouldn't be hard to believe that. And it wouldn't be out of the question. Because, again, beloved, it takes a different type of evil to do the things that Ahab and Jezebel were doing. Either way, there was a deep, thick, present darkness over Israel, and Satan's grip was tightening every day. And beloved, it was into that present darkness that Elijah was called. He was called from the little known and obscure parts of the land to challenge the great power of Jezebel and Ahab and even the devil himself. <clears throat> Elijah. Elijah, the Bible says, was from Tishbe. Now, for them, the question was not, could anything good come out of Tishbe? That wasn't even the question. The question was, where is Tishbe? The question was, what is Tishbe? Imagine, at the most critical Moments in the history of the nation, God sent a man from Tishbe, from nowhere, a nobody. And he called him into the moment. And he sent him with a message. And he showed him his mercy. He called him into the moment. Critical moment. No more critical time. The question is often asked, isn't it? Does the man make the moment or the moment make the man? Well, beloved, with God, it is both. 
because God ordains the moment and God ordains the man. We don't know anything about Tishbe. We don't know where it was. We don't know how it started. Ahab probably didn't know anything about Tishbe. But you know what? That didn't matter, beloved. We may not know how Elijah got there, but we do know who called him. And Ahab would learn who called him. For the first words out of Elijah's mouth to Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1, Elijah's says to Ahab, and the Lord God, the God of Israel, lives. The Lord God, the God of Israel, lives. First and foremost, Elijah assured Ahab that there is still a God in Israel. It is not Baal. It was a living God, Jehovah. Baal is dead, always has been. Jehovah is alive. Ahab is impotent. Baal is impotent. The Lord our God is omnipotent. This, beloved, was a big moment. For when Elijah stands before Ahab, the lines are being drawn. There is a God over Israel. We're going to find out who he is. Beloved, at times of trouble, the first thing you need to remember is that there is a God in heaven. That he is sovereign. That he is almighty. That he is the living God. That he is not created, but that he is creator. Acts chapter 17 and verse 24. The Apostle Paul is making this clear. The God that we worship is the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not a God created by human hands. He is not a God dependent on any mortal man. He is not a God in need of anything we can give. By his plan, that's just the way it is. He is God alone. These are the moments to remember that God is God. When towers fall, when tsunamis increase, when active shooters kill, when pandemics spread, the question we quickly ask is, where is God? Well, as quickly as we ask that question, let us answer it, beloved. The Lord our God is in heaven and he lives. He is not blind or ignorant to evil. He will not stomach it forever. Though at times, beloved, it seems, at times it seems like evil is winning. Ahab and, and Jezebel and Baal worship were flying high. 
They were winning the day. They had the prophets on the run. They had the, the, the faithful fearful for their lives. There was a reign of terror in Israel. There was a darkness of satanic oppression in the nation. And into that fray, God sent Elijah to say, the Lord our God is in Israel and he lives. Jehovah lives. No matter what the world seems to be, beloved, Jehovah lives. No matter how strong the enemy seems to grow, Jehovah lives. No matter how deep the sin is in your own life, remember this morning, Jehovah lives. No matter how, how strong the hold Satan may seem to have in your family this morning, remember this, Jehovah lives. He is alive. He is alive. The reason, the reason Elijah appeared, beloved, was to destroy the worship of Baal. God sent Elijah with a message to let them know that there is coming an end to the reign of Baal. You know what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8? And the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came, beloved, to announce to the world and to announce to the people of God that the reign of Satan is coming to an end. That he had come to destroy the works of the enemy. And in case you didn't realize it this morning, let me remind you, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. He is the sovereign creator God. That's who he is. And he is alive. That's the moment. That's the first point. And we're just getting started, beloved. It wasn't just the moment that he called Elijah to him. He also gave him a message. He gave him a message for Ahab and for the nation. God's word was clear. God's word was precise. God's word was concise. It always is. No rain, no precipitation, except the Lord says so. Ahab, no rain, no precipitation, except the Lord says so. Here was the potential of the clash of the titans. Here was the posturing for power in Israel. Except there was one problem. There was only one titan. Except there was only one problem. There was only one real power in Israel. It was the Lord God El Shaddai. Like Moses before Pharaoh in Egypt, here again would be the contest to demonstrate that there is no God but God. Baal, beloved, understand, was believed to have been the God of the storm. The rain and the dew and the precipitation were attributed to him. Baal was the God of fertility, the God of growth the God of prosperity. And here was going to be the issue. 
without the rain, can Baal make things grow? Or better yet, can he make it rain if the Lord doesn't say so? Stop it, B. Here was God, again, reminding his people who is sovereign over the elements. The Bible tells us in Job chapter 37, verse 6, he says to the snow, fall on the earth, and to the rain, shower, be a mighty downpour. Listen, beloved, God is not the weatherman. God doesn't predict the weather. He controls it. He ordains it. He plants his footsteps in the seas, and he rides upon the storms. And to that end, beloved, sometimes he uses the seas. He uses the winds. He uses the storms as elements of mean and means of his judgment. And this was unmistakably a message of judgment. God sent to Ahab. And this judgment was not out of the blue, beloved. Don't get it twisted. God, God, God's not like us. God's not like us. You know, whenever God gets upset, you always know why. You may not want to know why, but he's already told you. He's not like us. People wonder, why he, why he upset? My wife said, what, what's wrong with him? It's not like God. No, beloved, God's judgment is never out of the blue. He is not like us. His judgment is not arbitrary. Israel had broken covenant. And covenant breaking calls forth covenant curses. This is what he had told them in Deuteronomy. Chapter 11, verse 16. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut up the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish from the good land the Lord has given you. Again, he was, here he was, Elijah, before Ahab, throwing down the gauntlet. God is saying, enough is enough. Israel, once again, was going to have to make up her mind. Were they going to be the people of Baal, or were they going to be the people of God? Were they going to be ruled by the lawlessness of Ahab, or were they going to live according to the righteousness of God? This is the, this is the issue, beloved. This is always the issue. This is always the challenge that is set before the people of God. This is what Joshua said. This is what Joshua said upon entering into the promised land in Joshua chapter 24. In verse 15, he says to the nation, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods... Your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods or the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, beloved, the world is filled. The world is filled with those things and people who seek to be God in our lives. Our hearts, our hearts are always and every day prone, prone to chase after those things and people who will turn us from the true and living God. 
And God's people, therefore, are always, always being confronted in this world with the same message. Will you believe and serve God? Will you believe and serve the Lord your God today? This was the challenge that was put before Adam and Eve. This was the challenge that was put before Moses and the people under the leadership of Joshua. This was the challenge that was put before the reign of David. This is the challenge that was put before Elijah. This was the challenge that was put before the disciples of Jesus. Over and over again. Jesus threw down gauntlets to his disciples on many occasions. One of the more memorable times for me was found in Matthew chapter 16. When Jesus asked his disciples, who are the people saying that I am? And they gave a list of names of prophets. And then Jesus, in verse 15 of chapter 16, looked at them and said, yes, but who do you? say that I am. Beloved, this was one of the key verses in my decision to follow Jesus. Because, beloved, at some point, you have to decide if Jesus is real. At some point, you have to decide if Jesus is true. You can't keep going back and forth between two positions and opinions of who Jesus is. You can't be Christian today and Muslim tomorrow. You can't be having a Hebrew-Israelite opinion on this issue, but then you want Christ's opinion on that issue. If Jesus is who Jesus says he is, then God is throwing down the gauntlet. And he says in Luke 9 and 35, this is my son whom I have chosen. You better listen to him. There ain't no other options, beloved. There are no other options. promise of the drought was just the beginning of the battle. This is just, we just setting the stage for the battle. It was time for the nation to choose. Cursing or blessing, obedience or disobedience, life or death. And this is the life of faith in this world, beloved. That's what it is. The life of faith in this world is choosing life. Every day, every day, it is choosing life. Every day, it is choosing Jesus. In John chapter 6 and verse 67, after many of the disciples had turned away, Jesus looked at Peter and laid down a gauntlet. You going to go away also? Choose life or death. Choose you this day. Whom you going to serve? And the Bible says in verse 68 that Peter replied, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We choose you. And yet, beloved, that same Peter who chose Jesus on that day, the Bible tells us that not long after that would deny that Lord and turn away from him and choose disobedience. Isn't that interesting? I find it interesting because I find myself in Peter's shoes more often than I care to admit. 
One moment choose in obedience, the next moment choose in disobedience. One moment, moment choose in right, and the next moment choose in wrong. What is there to do, beloved? Here's the good news. The good news is that the greater choice is not mine. The most blessed of choices is not yours. The greater choice was not Peter's. The greater choice belonged to Jesus. And my comfort and consolation comes not in that I always choose right, but that Christ in his love has chosen me and that where his choice is never wavers. His choice never fails. And that's the mercy of God. Beloved, that's the mercy of God. In the midst of the judgment, God demonstrates Israel's idolatry was rampant, and it was evident. And God sent a word of judgment. And yet, even in the judgment, God demonstrates his mercy. After Elijah spoke to Ahab, God told Elijah, Now, Elijah, you go and you hide yourself down by the brook, and when you get by the brook, I will send the birds to minister to your needs. Even in a word of judgment upon the nation, God is merciful, demonstrating to the nation through the prophet the comfort and care he would give to Israel. Should they only turn to him again? But until then, he tells Elijah, you go and hide. You go and hide from the wickedness and the demonic possession and oppression of Ahab and Jezebel. You go hide from them. But even more important than that, you go hide from Israel. You go hide from Israel so they will know that there is a judgment upon them, that there is a famine coming. And Amos chapter 8 reminds us, beloved, that the Lord says that he will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a famine of thirst for water, but from hearing the words of the Lord. Elijah, you go hide so they might know That my word could come to an end here. And there only be judgment. You go hide from Jezebel. You go hide from Israel. But come, come, come. You come and hide in me. He hid from Jezebel. He hid from Israel. He hid from God. There was only one safe place in Israel, beloved. Only one. Because there's only one safe place when judgment comes. And that's in God himself. There was only one safe place for Noah. There was only one safe place for Moses. And there is only one safe place for you and for me that the Lord would be merciful and hide you, hide your soul in the cleft of the rock. That he would cover you with his own dear hand. The land was about to become dry. The land was about to become thirsty. But God 
was about to remind Elijah that it would be his mercy and his goodness that sustained him. In verse 6, he says, And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and his drink from the brook. Again, again, beloved, God was providing for Elijah what he would provide for the nation should they turn from idolatry and turn back to him. Because in the midst of judgment, there is always, there is always the promise of mercy. This is always the case. Because God delights in mercy more than judgment. Psalm 145 and verse 8. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion. Full of compassion, not full of judgment. Full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies over all his works. Why? Because James 2 and 13 tells us that mercy is greater than judgment. This is God. In the midst of the wickedness of the land. In the midst of the wickedness of our own hearts. Mercy is greater than judgment. And so he promises to supply Elijah. And how does God supply his mercy to his people? By the birds and the brook. By the birds and the brook. God would, God could have sent the supply straight from heaven. Because he did that before, beloved. He did that with the manna in the wilderness. Sent it straight from heaven. But here again, he is reminding Elijah. And he is reminding us that his mercies usually come through means. His daily mercies usually come through means. He uses birds and he uses brooks. Every day, every day, his mercies are new. Every morning, point to his faithfulness. Meat and bread to eat. Water to drink, morning and evening, morning and evening. The birds come flying. The brook flows. Birds and brooks, morning and evening, evening and morning. Every day, beloved. Every day that you have what you need, it is because the Lord and his mercy has sent you a bird and he has supplied a brook. Every day, every day, every day, every day, beloved, no matter how much you think you have or how hard you believe you have worked, if there is enough for daily bread, it is because God has sent a bird and a brook. And he's been merciful. He's been merciful. When we pray Give us this day our daily bread. What we are saying is, Lord, send again the bird. Let me drink once again from the brook. When you lay your head down and rest for the day, you can thank God for all the birds he sent and all the brooks that he supplied. And yet, I'm also wanting to remind you this morning, as beautiful as the raven is, and as refreshing as the brook is, 
Let's not get too infatuated with the birds. And let's not get too enamored with the brook. Birds die. And brooks dry up. As Elijah would soon find out. And the longer you live this life of faith, the more you understand. Birds die. Brooks dry up. Children don't understand this. Children don't understand this. When my children were small, they asked daddy for some money. And daddy said, well, you know, daddy don't have any money. And they said, well, why don't you just go to the bank? <laughs> because they don't understand. Birds die. And brooks dry up. And it's those times that you remember that it's not the raven. And it's not the river. It's not the bird. And it's not the brook. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It is his mercy that never ends. It is his goodness that is always sustaining. It is his grace that is amazing. It is his grace that is more than enough. Oh, beloved, the Lord has once again laid down his gauntlet. Would it be his mercy? Would it be his goodness? Will it be his grace this morning that you live and trust in him? I pray that the Lord would send you all the birds and supply all the brooks that you need. But more than that, I pray that you would be living in confidence in the mercy of God in the times of an evil and wicked land. Let's pray.